0: everybody. Welcome back to the Doctor Is In podcast and our special series, What Plants Crave. I'm your host, Dr. Nadia Saba. Many of you know my guest today as a cannabis cultivator and scientist who is willing to share data and insights learned from in-house research and, and operational practices. She's not shy about what she's learned or what she thinks. And that's probably why we get along so well. Yes, Today's guest is Allison Justice, founder and CEO of The Hemp Mine in South Carolina and founder and manager of the Cannabis Research Coalition in partnership with Clemson University. And as many of you know, is a person who wears many other hats. Um, There are about a million things we could and I think want to talk about related to cannabis, horticultural science, greenhouse versus indoor, the industry in general, the list is long. But for today, um, as maybe a teaser, or maybe just because of special interest in this topic, we're going to try to focus on the art and science of drying and curing cannabis, a subject that I know many of our listeners are going to be interested in learning more about. Allison, welcome to our podcast. I'm so excited to have you.
1: Hello, Nadia. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to to be here and to... Be spending some time with you and our listeners today.
0: Yeah, I of course have wanted you uh, on on the podcast for a long time, and I'm excited that you are our 20th guest. Um, it just oh, feels right. like a good way to commemorate where where we've come over the last eight or nine months. So, you know, before we get into drying and, and curing cannabis, um, I just wanted to catch up a little bit. It has been two and a half years. I think since we last talked and actually you were on my podcast back then when we were talking about COVID and the world had literally just shut down. It was April of 2020. And so we're kind of, you know, predicting what was going to happen in the industry and and in agriculture in general. How have you been since then? How, How did COVID affect you? I know one of the thing, one of the takeaways that I had from that conversation was that you were going to be growing some other agricultural crops. I remember okra sticking in my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so tell us what you've been up to. Yeah, so um, we
1: did grow quite a bit of vegetables. Um, In 2020. And that was, that was fun. That was also hard as a farmer. You know, speaking of okra, it grows very fast. And if you're not cutting it every single day, it gets very stringy. And so um, having a team... Yes. So having a team on it to cut every single morning, um, is imperative. Um, but that, that was good. It was, it was well-timed for that year specifically, you know, if nothing else, people always have to have food. And so, um, you know, having local food, you know, where they could come pick it up right on our farm was, was great. Um, we did only do that for one, one year because, you <laughs> know, You know, the other thing that people need when they're at home and bored is cannabis products. So, you know, year two, though, we really enjoyed the experience of getting into vegetable crops. Um, I mean, I I grew up on a farm that was nothing completely new for us, but, you know, kind of have to prioritize things. And so we backed off on it after that year, but yeah, it was, it was great. It was a really nice learning lesson, um. But yeah, no, people, people enjoy cannabis products too. And, you know, when we spoke back then, the worry was, well, you know, what's going to happen is just everything going to shut down. And, you know, for a while, our retail shops did decrease in orders, but, you know, as far as our online sales and that sort of thing, you know, it kind of equaled each other out, you know, when one went down, one went up, and then now it's, it's almost back to normal. So, it's not been too bad on us uh, as far as business.
0: I mean, speaking of hemp, I mean, around the same time, there was so much energy and excitement around the federal government legalizing hemp. Um, has it sort of lived up to that hype, to those expectations, or has it been maybe more challenging than expected for various reasons?
1: You know, it's, a, it's an interesting uh, industry,
0: <laughs>
1: but but so is so is marijuana right yeah yeah uh, you know the trends swing things and you're stuck trying to guess what's going to be the fad you know is it going to be rosin vapes or is it going to be you know it, or is everybody going want skittles at one yeah. season and it's the same thing in him you know i think that the difference is back in 2019 everybody wanted to grow him and they did you know, I'm, I'm talking, you know, doctors quitting their practices and growing hemp. Oh, wow. Yeah. Everybody wanted to do it and they did because they could. And what that did was made this huge, huge surplus, um, specifically in biomass. And, you know, the next year there was an oversupply. And so, you know, those who wanted to get in it for the quick buck are willing to sell for well below what they put into it just because they're wanting to make a little something back and so then you're fighting prices you know you're competing with people who are just trying to get out which is terrible um so for a lot of people the past few years in hemp have been terrible just to be honest with you um there are people who have picked niches you know, have done well. We're vertical. So, you know, I feel like we've got a little asterisk by our our business plan. You know, we're not just growing. We're not just selling young plants. You know, we're able to take that margin that usually you're beat down on from seed to sale, basically. Um, We're able to keep that full margin because we're selling those consumer good products. But in in general, you know, it's we've been slowly waiting for all of this excess biomass to dry up. And it it finally seems, you know, the last couple of months that it has. And the demand's gone back up. The prices have gone back up a little bit. And and in reality, the prices we had before per, you know, say kilo of of crude was ridiculous I mean in that first year if you successfully grew a crop you can make a million an acre but at that time they wow. wanted to sell it at those prices because they always thought they could get more so they held it and then the market crashed and so wow. you know this this circle of of learning and
0: it's you know, like the, I said
1: I'm sorry go ahead I was just going to say, you know, like I said, it's it's the people with niches, you know, those who can grow really high quality smokable flour or those who have a, you know, a brand they can kind of go on or those implementing agritourism, you know, uh, p- companies like that can and are doing really well. But those who, you know, are going out and just growing five acres for oil extraction and, and, and think they're just going to sell the biomass, you know, you, you may go into the negative. <laughs>
0: Is is it all about CBD right now? Is anyone growing hemp for fiber?
1: Uh yeah, and I think this this year has been the biggest so far. Um we actually planted okay. a little bit of fiber just for fun. It's a different
0: stock, I guess.
1: Oh, man, it's it's like bamboo. It's ridiculous. The stems are hollow. You know, they're 15 feet high. And obviously there's different varieties. But the ones we planted, you know, way early in the year still aren't flowering. I thought I'd have to chop them after a couple of months because they would flower and ruin all my my females of of cannabinoid plants, but uh, no, it just keeps growing. It's it's crazy. But with that said, yeah, I I do think that's one of the big futures for hemp um, in general, you know, fiber and seed production. Um, I've heard one of the
0: challenges. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I've heard one of the big challenges is what you do with that, with that, those plants right now, like there's just not processing plants to use that fiber.
1: That's the, that's the big hurdle. I mean, everybody wants to grow it. You know, if you're only getting $300 per acre for corn, you know, of course I'm going to take 400 to grow fiber hemp and it's wow. probably easier. So yeah, that that's coming in a big way. I hear about um, companies being set up in Kansas and Kentucky. And so hopefully that all comes together. Cause there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that will be replaced for that. And it'll, it'll be all in a good way and uh, yeah. you know, be more sustainable.
0: I was just going to say, and probably be better for the environment than only growing corn and soy all the time. Yeah. 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 Um. So finally, I wanted to ask you about the cannabis research coalition that you started with Clemson university. Um, you have been so busy. Um. <laughs> tell us about what that and how that came about. Yeah. So you know, I got my PhD under Dr. Jim
1: Faust at Clemson and in, in, in grad school, I was working with floriculture crops with like poinsettias, petunias, that sort of thing. Cool enough, all really relevant because there, a lot of them that I focused on were short day plants. And then also there's a lot to it as far as post-harvest. So, you know, taking cuttings in Guadalupe, cold chilling them, and then shipping them across the U.S. to be stuck, right? All, all kind of things that have, have led me to, uh, I guess, really having a passion in post-harvest production because I got to experience a lot of that with with cut flowers and with cutting, so clones.
0: Hmm.
1: And it, it's kind of all come full circle because now Dr. Faust and his uh, plant physiology lab has, has shifted a lot of focus on to, to hemp. And it's all hemp grown for cannabinoid, truly for smokable flowers. So it's, you know, 100 percent relevant to somebody growing, processing uh, marijuana for smokable flour. And so I guess my point of all that was when I was in grad school, we had something called the Floriculture Research Alliance. And it was farmers funding research at the university level to uh, one, have a a group you can kind of rely on and talk with uh, people that are doing the same thing as you, but then also funding for research that's farmer immediately practical, you know, not just research that other researchers like to read, um, that you might read and forget about. It's it's research that you can immediately implement into your system and, um, you know, help with yields or efficiency, et cetera, et cetera. So in short, farmer, farmer funded research. And that research is then shared with the group. Um, you know, we have monthly podcasts. Um, We'll have an annual meetup, you know, access to certain journals and things like that. So this is, this is where a lot of what we'll be talking about is coming from today. You know, I've had a lot of these theories since, you know, 2016 when I got into this, but, and I've been able to put a few, you know, bullet point asterisks um, as far as data on it. But commercial research is difficult. And so having Clemson involved to do a lot of that nitty gritty research, you know, the grad students funded by the CRC and that sort of thing has been has been really big in moving some of these questions along and and imperative in my opinion. So I'm excited of what I'll share a lot of this research like I said is done by his grad students.
0: That's really awesome. We We definitely need more of that university industry collaboration, I would say in in controlled environment agriculture in general, you know, one cannabis, obviously we know what some of the obstacles have been to do that, but even for some of the vertical farming uh, operations, so much of it is so centered around IP and trade secrets that they Mm -hmm. also don't necessarily want to work with, you know, publicly funded universities. And then publicize the research and the research findings. Um, and and I do think that it kind of slows the the industry down when you don't have the scientists to help advance that research and everyone is so cloistered and and, and doing it on their own. So I'm really excited that you're getting this started. No, it's, it's, awesome. it's been great. And it's the sort of thing where, you know, they are going
1: to publish because they're a university and that's what they do. But it could take a year or two for, for publishing to happen, you know, oh, for getting sure. the edits and the hurdles that the journals put out. So, you know, this is just uh early access is what I like to call it to, to what may be published eventually.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. All right let's talk about drying and curing. Um, I know. So you're going to be at the cannabis conference. We're both going to be at the cannabis conference here in a couple of weeks. Maybe by the time this is posted, it'll be the week of. And so, you know, as a little uh, taste of what you're going to be talking, maybe it's a deeper dive than what you'll be able to talk about in Vegas. But let's start with the most basic question in my mind, the most basic question. Why is drying and curing cannabis so important? Why why are we doing this in the first place?
1: So if if you made me answer with one word, I would say preservation. But from there, obviously, we can expand a lot, right? I think if we're talking human health, which we probably should because this is a human product, you know, preservation would be basically just removing the water to be safe. Right. So, like raisins, jerky, whatever, you know, these products can be put into a state of preservation to where they don't have to be put into the freezer or even a refrigerator. And that is ultimately removing enough water to not have microbial growth. So, you know, step one, removing that water for food safety. Obviously, there's mycotoxin and things like that, that it don't matter how much water you're going to remove, those toxins are going to still be there. But uh, pending, that's not an issue we're talking uh, or we're having. It's just simply water removal. You know, obviously, from there, we've got the, the visual preservation we want to have. So, you know, keeping it out of light, um, keeps it frosty. Um, we want it to be either green or maybe you have a purple flower. We don't want it brown. So preserving that color, you know, we've, we've got the the tactileness we can call it. We, we want it firm and dense, which, you know, uh, a lot of that's due to the way it's grown or, or variety selection. Also thinking of, of how it feels, you don't want it too wet or too dry, just due to feel nothing to do with microbials. I think probably the the most important um, that is going to be last discussed is fragrance. You know we want something that that smells nice. We don't want it to smell like grass and we don't want it to smell like nothing. We want it to smell like it smelled on the plant. And so you know that that's simply the the takeaways of the goals from drying and curing. In a nutshell.
0: Do do we necessarily want it to smell like it did on the plant? Or I, I'm just asking I'm here's my question. I'm just thinking about like wine, right? So so you have a grape and you might eat it or smell it or something, and it has one taste or smell, but then you ferment it, right? You process it, you post process it, and it might bring out different flavors and different look and feel. I mean Is it necessarily the preservation of what was on the plant or maybe an enhancement in some way of what was on the plant?
1: So this is where it gets tricky, right? We Mm -hmm. are combining art and science here. I mean, more way more than the cultivation part, because a lot of it depends on our nose and my nose talks to me differently than yours talks to you. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's all opinion and there's certain things we can agree on we want it to smell like something and you know, we don't want it to smell <laughs> like grass or moldy but those little nuances in between um you know if you think about wine a lot of those things that sommeliers that they're able to notice it takes them years to develop true um and so i, I think it's very similar to that where you know I mean I feel like I'm still working on my nose and I've been on this for quite a while and then covid
0: kicks in and that throws me
1: more,
0: so. And then people don't even have a nose anymore so <laughs>
1: Exactly.
0: So um then yeah, it doesn't no, matter.
1: That that's an interesting point. You know, I, with, with wine, with uh, tobacco, you know, there's, there's fermentation that's happening. And so they're taking whatever was in the plant and changing it a little for the good. And I, I don't think we can put a stamp of, yes, fermenting is happening, but some of the data, you know, we've been able to collect recently is showing basically ethylene being produced when the, the water activity is below what microbes could grow at. But oxygen and CO2 is not being manipulated in a way to suggest that, you know, basically the plant is still living, uh, respiration. So is that microbes making the ethylene? I don't know, but we can at least put kind of our stamp saying ethylene is being produced. Let's figure out this next step. And that's, that's one of the big takeaways that, that uh, we were able to figure out in the last group of tests at Clemson.
0: I'm so glad you brought up ethylene. I, I, I still talk to a lot of growers who don't really understand ethylene, who 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 are new uh to mm-hmm. the concept of of ethylene and the the ripening senescence death chemical. Um if, <laughs> if I may. A good way it, yeah. <laughs> I, I have a feeling we're gonna get to there in a minute, but let me let me just take the next logical question in my head anyway which is so why is drying so hard like I don't know why not just zap it right and and then so these have been
1: really great lessons learned being in hemp and being able to destroy bigger amounts of biomass (laughs) because it's you know I'm not losing um it's not worth as much as marijuana and it's been really great. Uh, you know, I'm part of a graduate committee for um, a lady at UGA and that's all her doctoral work is on is uh, different methods of drying hemp. And, you know, everything from looking at the the trichomes uh, on a SEM, a scanning electron microscope mm-hmm. uh, at different levels of drying. So by levels, I mean, just, you know, humidity temperature. So my, my point is that it, it, hard lessons learned in hemp is that drying should be shaped around what your end product is. So hemp, for example, and this this is on parallel to to marijuana. If you're growing for just isolate, yes, zap it, dry it as hot and quick as you can. You're just going to isolate. And then if we're thinking CO2 extraction for hemp, well, a lot of those companies will put your flour in an oven beforehand anyways to decarboxylate it because you have better extraction efficiencies when it's in its um, non-acidic form so you know the the kind of the preaching i like to do to growers because in hemp our margins are so much smaller you've got to be smarter you know figure out what your end game is and then work your way back from there because you know i've seen people go and and spend hundred thousand dollars a million dollars on drying systems when they were just going to produce isolate so, oh man <laughs> you're yeah. gonna go bankrupt so you know again understanding your end process and then going backwards is the key but uh, you know I think our general talk here is about smokable flour
0: I think right so. yeah so, but I'm glad and, you brought that up because I, I I'm going to ask you at the end just your your thoughts on some of the other uh, strategies for for drying cannabis that that I've seen come through some of the research. We'll get there at the end. Okay. Um, okay. But as an exclamation point or something, as a dot dot dot, those are totally two different things, but they make sense for me. Yeah. <laughs> so if, you know, if if we're talking
1: smokable flower drying, you know, the the reason why it's so critical and not just do it is because we have these other little guys in there called terpenes that give that smell of the plant or at least part of it there's other things involved that i feel like you know we're going to put the dot 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 on because we haven't quite figured out uh their role other secondary metabolites but terpenes we can at least we can test for our nose can test for it and we can figure out what's going on with them Um, they're very volatile in nature and so drying too fast they volatilize and leave. And so you know if you think about it if you smell your terpenes they're not in the plant anymore. So in your in your drying room um or down the hallway from your drying room, you know, if they're in your nose they're not in the plant.
0: Okay, that is a mind-blowing comment. <laughs> because when I think about odors, right, and odor control, it's always the drying room that's the stinkiest. Mm -hmm. And what you just said is we don't want the drying room to be stinky. We don't want the air to be stinky because that's those terpenes volatilizing.
1: Right. Right. And so we need your engineering mind to help us figure out how to keep that in the plant and not in our nose. And which terpenes do we care about? The ones that will volatilize Mm -hmm. and are the ones that we will eventually smell, whether it's in a jar or in a bag, or do we care about those ones that stay in the flower because they're heavier? But we will actually taste them when we smoke. And so, <laughs> it, it's it's been really wild watching, you know, as we do some of these studies. The different types of terpenes, right? You've got your monos, you got your sesquiterpenes, all classified by their isoprene units. So, how many?
0: How you many? Are, I have no idea what
1: you're talking <laughs> about right now. All right, so, so in, in general terms, um, some are heavier than others, right? And so they're going to leave faster than others. Okay. Right. So, you know, if you just want to think about it like, like water vapor, some of the water vapor. <laughs> Some's heavier than others. So they leave faster than others. Okay. And so it's been super interesting to dry at different conditions and see how that ratio changes based off of temperature and humidity.
0: Interesting. Interesting. So let's just say in the magical, perfect world, I know nobody does this, but every grower wishes they could do Mm -hmm. this. You grew one cultivar at a time. Mm -hmm. theoretically then would you maybe want to dry cultivar a a little differently than cultivar b if you're trying to isolate specific terpenes differently from them or not necessarily i'm gonna say theoretically yes but in in research we need to do that but
1: keep it simple you know
0: yeah yeah for,
1: for growers out there i would not be trying to to shape this round variety. I think maybe, maybe eventually
0: we'll get to that, but I I wouldn't go changing up things quite yet. Okay. 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 So you keep bringing up temperature and humidity, right? So, you know, I love that, (laughs) but Tell me, what are the variables that are important? You know, specifically, I you have been talking for a long time since you started talking about drying, about this idea of water activity. Kind of like me with VPD, I feel like you are making inroads in the community, and I'm hearing more and more people use the term water activity yes. as opposed to moisture content. So congratulations. <laughs> I'm going to give you a lot of credit for that, um, if not all the credit tell me about what is water activity? How's it different than moisture content? And what are the the variables other than like these terpenes that you're just uh, describing that we're trying to manage and control?
1: Yeah. So if we're talking general water content and this, this would be basically what I would say the majority of people are measuring their dryness with right now you know you think about the meters that have the two prongs that you shove into wood they're meant for lumber and that sort of thing they they work okay they work okay for drying and curing you can usually get them from 30 to 100 and they measure the total water in that plant material Water activity, on the other hand, is the water that's available there for microbial growth. And so, you know, if we're talking about something that's meant for human consumption, you know, we want to know if we're putting this bud in a position where botrytis can continue to grow and and take over that plant tissue. You know, whatever spore-wise or mycelia-wise is there to begin with, changing the water activity is not necessarily going to, kill it but it will at least stop it from growing and so that is the end goal there um, because you know with other plant or with other foods um, we understand the water activity where most and, it, it, and it'll vary between a, you know bacteria and different types of fungus fungi and, and so I think we're getting close to putting that exact number on cannabis but um, it, it's definitely a model to go by. And so, I think we're getting close because it, it depends on, you know, how are we talking about one gram? Or are we talking about, uh, you know, a 50 gram bud? Because it'll it'll vary and it only takes a sample from the outside layer.
0: I was just going to ask, I mean, the water activity or even the moisture content for that matter, I, I expect is going to vary from the center of the bud to the exterior surface of that bud. So are you looking for the center to be a certain water activity or the average of the whole bud to be a certain water activity?
1: So it's interesting. If you have a shorter grow uh, drying time versus a longer one, your water activity will be different. So let, let's say I dry really fast for three days and then I put it in a bucket and then you pull it out and you check your water activity. Well, When you're in the drying room, the middle of that bud is not going to dry as fast as the outside. So, you know, think about a planet. The middle is wet and the outside is dry. Mm -hmm. But you put it into a bucket with a bunch of other buds of of similar and you use water activity meter, you're going to keep measuring what's on the outside of that bud. And so it's going to seem like it's getting wetter, but it's not. Because because the water
0: is migrating. Exactly. Exactly
1: it's just homogenization. So, you know, saying I want you to hit in a perfect world, you know, you wouldn't be using a water activity meter that's doing a a calculation that's based off the outside of the bud. It would actually sit in there for, you know, hours on end to to be able to calculate what's on the inside, but that's not how they're made. So, you know, it, it depends if you're a, if you're a short, fast dryer, or if you dry for a longer time, there's some variance there on what you want your set point to be for as far as water activity but you know again it's guidelines it's general because your buds are going to be different sizes different densities
0: Yeah,
1: all those variables are thrown at you but we've got to start somewhere right
0: yeah of course (laughs) I mean it just brings up like so many thoughts and questions so so if you If you dry cannabis more quickly, let's say three days versus 10 days, then I guess, tell me if I'm understanding this correctly, that in three days, you might want to measure a water activity around around the surface of the bud that is lower than the water activity if you did it slower because you're assuming that there's more moisture in the center of the bud. And so you're kind of using that as a gauge for what it's going to end up being. So if I just use a number of from zero to a hundred, right? And you said, okay, well, I want a water activity of 0.5 or not 0.5, a 50, <laughs> 0.5 would be really hard. If well, then, no, well no,
1: that's actually right. So the scale goes from uh, one to zero. Yeah. So 0.5 is on the drier side.
0: Yeah. Right. Cause is 0.6. Is that the sort of magic threshold?
1: That's kind of the consumer, consumer goal.
0: Yes. That's the consumer goal. Yeah. Okay. So if, if you're shooting, okay, zero to one and you're shooting for 0.5 at the end, let's say, then a fast drying time, maybe you want to measure, I don't know, 0. 0.4, because maybe the center is 0. 0.6 and the average would be 0. 0.5. I'm literally right. just making up numbers. So yeah. please, please, yeah. listeners, don't use this your <laughs> your gauge. Um, but if you had grow, uh, drying more slowly, and your goal is 0.5, then maybe you want to read closer to a 0.5 because the the water should have sort of equilibrated over a longer period of time.
1: Exactly, exactly, and and it's good to be able to wrap your head around that, but if you don't care about daily having to basically destroy uh, a gram or two of your bud, the easiest thing to do is to grind it and then measure it.
0: Oh, okay. (laughs) But you Thanks, understand. You just the- made me go through that this whole thought experiment. Well, you understand <laughs> it completely, right? I mean, <laughs> okay, good, good. Uh, I passed that test. Okay, so uh, there is a relationship, right, between water activity and humidity. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So, does 0. 0.6 equal 60% relative humidity?
1: Yeah. So okay. If you were to put the buds in a bucket and it truly did homogenize throughout your, basically the headspace humidity should be, should match it exactly. So if okay. it were 60% humidity in there, your buds would be 0.6 water activity.
0: Okay. So, so since we're talking about time three and I'm just going to use three days versus 10 days, you said three days, I'm going to say 10 days is one better than the other.
1: Yeah, I think so. You know, according to our research, there's so many asterisks of different variables, varieties, quantity that's in the room, blah, 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 blah. But anywhere from seven to 10 days, I think is the sweet spot. I think you're able to keep the temperatures low enough, keep the deficit to a point to where uh, you're not bringing out the water too quickly or the, the terpenes you know, are not able to bol- volatilize. And so pending more research, I think seven to 10 days is, is pretty much the sweet spot.
0: Do you think there's any value to extending that to 14 days or 20 days? Or are we just now sort of playing with fire a little bit because maybe we haven't removed the moisture fast enough that there might be more biological activity?
1: No, I I think you could extend it, but at that point, I don't know if it would be. You know, I think it almost becomes you're turning the drying room into the curing room. You know, because okay. you're you're not necessarily drying to remove water; you're drying to move water to homogenize. And so, if your drying room was able to, you know, be and this is one of your questions, I believe, is yeah, my, yeah, my ultimate. Drying curing space is would be that exactly, um, you know. You would do age, it in the
0: same space.
1: Yeah, if if I had enough controls. So you know, we're one. We had to figure out what what ethylene's doing. If it even matters that it's there. If we're wanting to remove it. If we're wanting to add some to help with. You know, it's it's the death gas. So you know, do we want to actually add some or not remove it per se, because it's doing something to. Make smoking better. <laughs> um, Wouldn't
0: that be interesting if we wanted to actually gas the the, the plants with ethylene right? to improve its ripening, like we would a mm-hmm. banana or a tomato, and even even before going into the drying room? Yeah. So. Oh man. That's so uh, yeah. Cool. I don't. I don't I know, but
1: idea. theoretically, and until I know any different, yeah, I would have a, a room which would allow me to. To dry it at the temperature and humidity I wanted. Um, It would be able to be closed off where I could add or take away certain gases or just maintain a humidity. Um, So it it basically just become a big bucket. Um, And, but you wouldn't have to move it.
0: That that would be my,
1: that would be my preference for sure.
0: So you said something just a minute ago that again, sort of rattled my brain. Drying is removing moisture and curing is moving moisture. Yeah. I like that. Cause I mean, that is one of my questions, which is why are we curing cannabis? What what is curing? Is it, is it, is that what it is? Is it moving moisture from the center to the, so it's like equilibrated? Is there you know,
1: I think I can sign my name off on that one, right? I think we can all agree on that. Okay, so that's such an easy one to to be certain of, but there there's all sorts of other things that you know we can steal ideas from wine and tobacco, and say, well, we know with other plants removing chlorophyll is a thing (laughs) you know it in tobacco you remove chlorophyll you, you know think back to think back to the old school pictures of tobacco all the leaves are yellow when they're drying it and that's on purpose you know they want to remove the chlorophyll because chlorophyll provides a harsh smoke but our our buds are not turning yellow so are we doing that I'm not sure, but Mike Alden, grad student at Clemson, he will be testing that in the next couple of months. And so I'm, I'm super excited to see what he finds out, specifically with the chlorophyll. Because, you know, it's a it's a solid dairy, but they're not, you know, we're not trying to turn the buds yellow. You know, there's other things like, you know, well, how are we manipulating the carbohydrates? So starches to sugars. If you read through the journals on tobacco, they'll actually add sugar to create a better smoke. Really. So, mm-hmm. And so, it, it's funny, and and this is the first time I'm announcing it publicly, I suppose. And I'm proud of it, you know. I, we've we both have been in this for a while, and we were trained by, you know, traditional science. You know, what's right is right. What's what's written in the papers is what we go by. And then we get to cannabis, and there's guys doing things. And when I say guys, I mean guys and girls. They're doing things very different. And you know, I'm looking at somebody stripping the plants, and you know, uh, just dying because, oh my God, you're, you're removing all the photo sales. And my point is there's a lot of practices done where we don't know why. Mm-hmm. And I'd say every couple of weeks, almost I'm seeing the data support those ideas. And so the reason I supporting science, the art,
0: basically. The sci-
1: science is supporting the art more and more. Um, and just this year specifically, I've seen all sorts of folks jump in from, you know, university level doing this research, and they're able to put out, you know, statistically relevant journals, and I'm like, oh my god, in short, this is just supporting the art, and so, I I mean, so much so, and we can talk about this in detail later, but so much so, I almost want to put out saying, you know, you told me so, you might not have known, but you told me so, let's talk about why, all of that to lead to flushing,
0: yes Yes. right
1: so you know flushing is a cultivation practice and it's been done and it's been done a lot and you know i i really think it's it's to speed up that speed up senescence and is that going to increase yield no maybe not is are you going to be able to put a data point on that no probably not as far as terpenes go or, or cannabinoids but when we bring out a line of consumers to taste the difference, right? It's all opinion. You might see the difference there and that, you know, uh, removing certain things from the the growing side is lending to a better smoke. So that's, that's kind of where the sugars and carbohydrate changes go. You know, think about a banana ripening, you know, that's what's happening there. I know some people that won't eat a banana once it's like, over two-thirds brown because it's converted mostly into sugars.
0: And it tastes delicious. And it, and I love it. (laughs) Me too.
1: So who's to say, who's to say, you know, that's not what some of these practices have been doing all
0: along. I mean, these are plants. They all kind of do the same thing. I mean, they evolve the same way. So it completely makes sense. And in terms of flushing, by flushing, I just, so I make sure I understand, Flushing is the treatment at the end with water, right? That you're just yes. like flushing out. And, and I know grow, some growers have said, oh, you know, we're depleting it of nitrogen. That That's the reason why. And they've said, some have said, yeah, it improves the smokability of the flour. So maybe it's helping convert some of those starches to sugars because you've driven, you've really driven a stress mechanism to the plant, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, we're just adding another level of stress to say you're about to die. And so now it's like, okay, I'm really dying. Um, I don't even have nutrients to move through my body anymore. And so it starts that conversion process potentially. Has anyone, has anyone measured the ethylene content in a, in a cultivation facility that you know of? Because wouldn't that be interesting to see that at that flushing period?
1: yeah that would be interesting I can't say that I can't say that we have but we have measured ethylene in a sealed jar on a bud that was harvested but not dried and it was getting up to 30 30 ppm. what's normal So let's see I think I think for fruit if you're over like, 0.1 ppm, you start having like manipulation of certain things. It, it wow. would cause plants to curl, or of course bananas would ripen, things
0: like that. So it's it's a lot, basically. A hundred times more. Wow. Ethelene is so interesting. Okay. So you sort of described a little bit about what your perfect room would be. Tell me about temperature and humidity. Obviously we get asked this question a lot. I hear such a range and variety of temperature and humidity combinations uh, that growers are looking for from beginning to end. Some want to hold it steady the whole time. Some want to start higher and go lower towards the end. What are your thoughts on that environmental management?
1: You know, as long as long as within the first couple of days, you're getting under 0.8 water activity, Oh, that's you know, it? That, yeah, the fir- first couple of days, yeah. Okay. Um, because really, that's where microbials can explode, you know, is, is 0.8 and above. And after that, you know, you can you can go a little slower. But to be honest, and we're coming back at it again, you know, the 60-60, it, it works. We found with 60-60, I wish I could pull up a graph right now, but I guess we can we can post it let's see. Yeah, that'd because be what,
0: awesome. Yeah, yeah we'll what, totally what we did that. was,
1: you know, take moisture content one axis access, access, um, and then days and drying on the other um, and then look at different temperatures, humidity, so b- different VPDs plotted throughout. And, you know, the one that was best in this representation, you know, we thought was 59 Fahrenheit, 55 relative humidity and that was about 10 days drying you know a, again it's it's relative to the person but that also had the best nose um so it seems it's fast enough to stop you know terrible microbial growth but slow enough to really hang on to those terpenes
0: and and did you maintain that 60 60 the whole time That was, was that maintained. kind of at the end? okay that was
1: maintained yeah to be on the safer side. And I, you know, a lot of it really depending on the state you're in and what their testing procedures are for microbials. You know, I would maybe, I would maybe say start at 50, um, and then bump it back up a little bit. 50 uh, humidity, humidity, humidity. Okay. Okay. Start at 50. Um, and then you can bump back up to 60, but, Yeah. But you don't really
0: want to go above 60%, right? Like that's that sort of threshold. If we're going
1: for high, high, high quality marijuana, no, I wouldn't, you know, if we were talking about hemp, I would, I would not be as strict, I'd say. Um, Okay. But yeah, I I would say, I would say that's the goal, Um, which that lends me to a question for you. Okay. So uh, Dr. Faust, based off of our nose perception and you know what i just told you in short the 60 60 that equates like a 0.8 vpd yeah. so is it fair to create a chart for vpd for drying and how do you think that would change drying by being within that same sector within the chart just as we would in in growing
0: yeah, what's funny is I was going to tr- ask you this sort of the same question is, <laughs> is it VPD that we should be looking at? Because, you know, I plug 6060 in and I get a VPD of uh, at least according to our calculator, 0.71 uh, kilopascals. Um, so maybe 0.7 to 0.8 is is that sort of sweet spot. Um and maybe we just say 0.75 for all intents and purposes. Yeah, maybe. I, I'm sort of curious about that. And and I think that's also what lends me to asking the question about temperature and humidity. You know, you're talking a lot about humidity and 50%, 60%. But how does that relate to temperature? I mean, could it be 100 degrees and 50% relative humidity? We know that that glass of air is a lot bigger at hundred degrees than it is at at 60 degrees. So conceptually, I feel like that's wrong. Um, But Mm. if 0.6 water activity is 60% relative humidity, why not have a higher temperature? Is there something else at play? For instance, you know, the the vaporization of those trichomes, is it, you know, if VPD is driving the, the movement of moisture is temperature driving something else? The ripening phase, right? The rate of ripening and ethylene production and trichome vaporization.
1: I don't know. Yeah, I I think this is where we get a chemist involved and, you know, start looking at the the vaporization of of the terpenes. Yeah. You know, um, because they're all going to be different and how Yeah. It gets complicated. That's a, that's a lot of variables.
0: It is. Because it's
1: not, you know, we're not talking about stomates opening. This is, this is physically losing water from, you know, where is it coming out of the most?
0: Right. (laughs) And terpians and trichomes are more oil based, right? Or, or or, so God, I guess oil and water, do they mix? I I don't know. (laughs) Like how much does oil move with water? I I feel like they're almost potentially mutually exclusive, but I could be a hundred percent wrong. I'm not a biochemist in any way. So, but the other, but one variable that's not at play with drawing and curing is light, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, and photosynthesis and, and, and CO2. Well, you tell me about CO2. I shouldn't go there, but when I just think about the photosynthesis curves, right. And finding that, that optimization point between, Light and carbon dioxide, and usually it's temperature. Though I'm suspicious, it's really VPD that we're after, or it's VPD and temperature, because temperature helps drive right that metabolism and the rate of photosynthesis. But don't forget about VPD and transpiration, or else you're not moving nutrients through the plant. Right. So when I think about drying, it's there's different variables at play. Well, I think we can all agree uh, we don't want light in there. We can agree on that. yeah Okay. Why? Why not? Because
1: it turns the flower brown.
0: Oh, really? It does. Any no. light source?
1: I mean, if you're... <laughs> okay. They put you on the spot. Tricky. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to dry in a greenhouse that has no sort of shade. I've done this with hemp and oh, really? the, the, the UV turns it brown.
0: Um, even ah. at really cold temperatures. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I'm I'm up for the experiment. I'm up for collaborating with you guys to try to figure that question out. I I don't know the answer, and I guess you don't either. Not yet. So that 24 to 48 hours you mentioned, we're trying to get the water activity down to 0. 0.8. I hear a lot of growers who say that they want to remove 50 percent a lot of, usually 50% is the number um, of the moisture from the buds within the first 24 to 48 hours. And then after that, it's kind of a slow burn. Would you agree with that practice?
1: Does well, it have to
0: get that low? 50% of the water. Mm-hmm. Are we
1: saying that the plant for rough numbers is 70% water, right? Yeah. And so it, are you saying that they want to get it down to thirty five percent? Or is that there, that is a very 30. nuanced
0: question and a fair question. I would say that what they're thinking in their head is that they have a thousand pounds of wet product, and after twenty four to forty eight hours, if they weighed it all again, it would be five hundred pounds. So not not quite from seventy to thirty five percent.
1: I think in in general, that's a that's a fair conclusion, yeah.
0: Okay. And then after that, it's just however long it takes to dry it down to your target water activity or moisture content, I guess, in the next seven to 10 days. Well, I guess seven days at that point. Is there a correlation between water activity and moisture content? Like, can you take a moisture content measurement and make some, a guesstimate? Yeah. yeah,
1: We've been able to graph that out, Um, but it's going to vary a little bit with variety. Sure. Basically. Because okay. of density and the, the pieces that come with that. Yeah.
0: Okay. The the other question that I always have in my mind too when I ask that question about the 50% moisture content is are you only drying the buds? Like did you wet trim? Uh, right, and you're only, and you have buds on like baking racks, or is this like the whole plant, right? And you have mm-hmm. like the entire branch like hanging from a rack. So when they say fifty percent, you know, to me those aren't equal. They're, uh, uh, but maybe they are.
1: Yeah, that that, that makes it even more tricky. Um, you know, what I always tell people is if if they have a drying room where they struggle to get the water out. Well, there's a few things you can do. One is cut off water a little earlier, you know, last couple of days Mm. of growing. But two is the more leaves or stems you can remove, that's all physically removing water where your system doesn't have work to do it. So yeah, there'll definitely be a difference. I'm not sure if I've heard of anybody doing this. Uh, Basically what I'm getting at is understanding if the stem's still on, which loses moisture first the stem mm. or the bud i can definitely conclude that the leaves dry first because it's is you know they're you can, flat mm, and
0: flimsy exactly
1: they <laughs> they're not very it. dense
0: yeah
1: and then you know we go back to drying is removing water but I, I'm, I'm sure there's an, an affinity for one to lose it first mm-hmm that that would be an easy one to kind of quantify. So I'm mm-hmm. going to make a note
0: of that. Awesome. Yay.
1: <laughs> you know what? You can't figure out the answers if you don't have the questions first, right? That is so true. That's why I love the CRC is because all these questions like, oh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't think about that, but let's figure <laughs> it out.
0: And you talk to a grad student who has no experience with hemp or cannabis and coming in with totally new questions and ideas. Right. Yeah. Right. You're like, different, oh wow,
1: perspectives. Mm-hmm, exactly. exactly.
0: So, w- what is your preference? I mean, if, if you uh, baking racks, hanging drying racks, something else? I mean, does does it matter so much? Uh, you know, coming from my perspective, I think about airflow a lot. I, I I feel like I don't want to blow too much air at the plant because it would dry it out too quickly. But maybe that's your goal, but like, you know, you still want to have a generally well-mixed room, right? Like you would Mm -hmm. in a cultivation space. And I'll just tell you my thought, baking racks are way harder to move air through than hanging racks. But, but what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. I agree with that completely. My preference as a cultivator is to do somewhere in between uh, individual buds and full plants you know, if you've got a, let's say a three foot plant, you know, maybe breaking that down to, into five pieces. Okay. Um, so you're, you're getting the majority of the large base stem out of there, but there's still some pretty large stems within the, you know, five or six pieces that's left with the buds. You know, airflow is important and it's, it's one of those really, it, it's crucial but then it's also, it will ruin uh, the the plants. You know, if if you have hot spots, botrytis will form. If you've got Mm. heavy wind spots, you're going to blow the terpenes right out. And I know that that sounds silly on a scientific level, but uh, Dr. Faust had an idea because he saw that. He grows our CBD plants because he has to. So he grows the hemp mine plants and, you know, I've bred them to look and smell like weed. You know, you smoke them, you don't feel anything, but you know, that's, that's the goal for us, a CBD smokable flower growers to, for you not to know. And um, so he, he grew a batch and they were beautiful and then put them in like a conviron chamber to dry and had a fan in there and they smelled like nothing. And he was just so discouraged. And then, you know, I have something that I drew, I, I dried in the back and it smells better than his. And he just like, <laughs> So he, he took a jar. It was a big jar. <laughs> and he put a fan in that jar and shut it in the fan, like a small computer fan and just let it run. And two weeks later, opened it up and it, it was dry flour. He put in there, you know, smelled okay as he put it in there and, when he opened it up, it smelled like nothing. So, this is one of those ah. you know, what in the world's happening? You know, where did they go? Because, you know, it's a glass jar. It physically has nowhere else to go except to change. I don't know where it went, but I have experienced if you're in, if you have a dry room and, you know, say you have just one big fan in the corner, those that are closest to it, they're going to dry out faster, but then they're also not going to smell great. So, you know, we know boundary layers and you know all these things but we don't understand yet how those terpenes are evaporating out or or is it actually a conversion into something The i mean the the jar example makes me i mean they didn't just sneak out during the night i mean they had to have been converted to something else
0: so opening Um, the jar you smelled nothing
1: sealed fan inside two weeks open the jar nothing.
0: I have no idea.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. So wow. Point point being there, there's definitely, um, a finesse of too much and not enough air movement. Mm -hmm.
0: Let's move to curing real quick. And my, my epiphany that we're moving moisture through the curing process. Is there another reason why we're curing? And, and, and I have to ask the question about burping, why are we burping <laughs> so <laughs> um, i two questions in there i know yeah so i
1: think there i think there's a overlap between drying and curing right some some people are actually doing a little bit of drying while they're curing and some are doing a little curing while they're drying and the only thing i can be sure of is the movement of water so you know we've done studies where we've we've got a bucket and Uh, let me just give a, I can, I can give you the graphs to post, but just for, for theory's sake, you know, say you pulled your plants down, they're in a bucket, they're at a water activity of 0.65, right, and they've homogenized, so the, the headspace is also 65% humidity, well, you burp it, and the humidity in the room is 40%, what do you think you're going to do? You're going to lose water. yeah. So, but then I've also done the reverse where, you know, let's say we're at 0. 0.4, you know, homogenized in that bucket. And then in the room, it's 90% humidity. Well, you're going to add moisture to that bucket when you burp it. Right. So, you know, there's that factor of just the difference between the two. You know, I, I can say, going back to ethylene, ethylene is still being produced on a dry bud. It's minimal. It's minimal comparatively but you know in other plants minimal is a lot you know 0. 0.1 ppm is a lot mm-hmm. so you know is is burping releasing that ethylene supplying something to those microbials that we have not yet identified that are are fermenting or are doing something else I'm not sure Nadia I'm not sure
0: I mean I have two questions around that one is just based on on this idea of ethylene and, and even any of the other volatiles, right, volatile organic compounds that the plant might be producing as it furthers its senescence process or curing process. I've wondered if part of the reason we're burping is to release some of that ethylene, because if the ethylene concentration gets too high, maybe it prevents the, the flower, right, from continuing to produce ethylene, right? Because the concentration is so high around it that we might be preventing something. Maybe we want to prevent something, but let's just say we're burping to release that ethylene so it continues the, the curing process. Exactly. So, okay, so now the atmosphere around those buckets, right, the ethylene level is high because we just released all this ethylene into the room around it. Mm-hmm. do we, one thought that I I've had is, is that a room? Is that a time, a space where maybe we want some outside ventilation to help release that ethylene to set it back into an ambient condition so that the next time we release that ethylene, right. It has, it, we've created a concentration difference between that headspace in the bucket and, and what's in the room. And it probably doesn't take many air, t- Air change rates, right? It's probably very small, but maybe there's some value there. And again, this might be a research question, but I'm just curious your thought on that.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think so. And whether it's whether it's an air exchange for CO two because you're curing in your trim room and there's a bunch of people in there. Yep. If it's to move out the ethylene that we just dumped out of the bucket, is it is it something? you know, and like other plants, aldehydes, are, are those stinky compounds, you yeah. know, are, are we also, just because we haven't got to measure any of them yet, are we also releasing those aldehydes that, yeah, we want to go ahead and sweep them out of the room too, no matter, I guess my point is whether it's ethylene or whether it's another molecule, you know, that's mm-hmm. being put out by that, the buds, yeah, I think moving it out of there, out of the the room it's in is, probably important too.
0: Okay. Okay. I'm glad that that's not a crazy idea. Cause I feel no. like maybe the drying room is a room where we want to contain, but in my, I feel like the curing room might be a place we want to do a little bit of air flushing. And, and the other thought that came to my mind as you were describing, you know, if the headspace is 60%, but the, the room is 90% or vice versa, the room is 40% and the headspace is 60%. How important is it to control the, the humidity and the environment around those buckets? Are those buckets sort of self-contained when it comes to the environment? Should we have them insulated so that it doesn't matter what the temperature is around them? Though I guess then when we burp it, if it's 110 degrees in the room, they might feel it then. But um, does it do, do you care if the water migrates into the headspace or out of the headspace? Or should they be sort of the same target humidity?
1: So no, I think they should be the same target because if you're burping, it's going to go one way or the other. Basically, when you're burping, it's doing the same thing as putting a beveda pack in your bucket, right? If it's too high, if it's too high, moisture, uh, humidity in there, it's going to bring it down, and then vice versa. And so that's the same thing was happening when you're burping. So in reality, if Let's say you you know your customer prefers um, a, a water activity of 0. 0.65. They like it a little more moist, right, with 0. 0.6 being on kind of the other end. Some people will go down to 0. 0.55 if they're in a state where there's crazy microbial <laughs> regulations. Mm. Um, but, yeah, in theory, if you're going to burp and you're using um, buckets that are not completely air gas tight, like the five-gallon buckets, they're not you would wanna match it because then you burp and you don't lose and you don't gain. You're just moving gases. You're not moving humidity.
0: Yeah, water. so so if you want a water activity of, of 0.65, then ideally we, the HVAC design engineer should be trying shooting for targeting a room humidity of 65%. Yes. Okay, perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and does the temperature matter in the curing process?
1: You know, I think the, the colder you can get it, the better. I mean, okay. obviously you've got to be economical right. with that. But yeah, if you can keep it in the 60s, sure.
0: I I, I feel like that is a point in the curing process where you, you mentioned, we'll come for a full circle here about preservation. When I think about other foods and preserving foods their shelf life we usually chill them we hold. we want to sort of hold them in stasis and so we have a cooler environment so that they don't continue ripening and producing that ethylene Hmm. i love food i love agriculture
1: (laughs) (laughs) you know the the other thing we haven't talked about and you know data coming but other things that they'll put in jerky and basically to to lengthen how long they'll stay good is by mm-hmm. putting inert gases in the packaging
0: oh. to, to,
1: to reduce um, oxidation.
0: Yeah. And
1: so interestingly enough, a lot of people have been doing that in the hemp industry and I'm here to tell you it works. <laughs> it really, works. it, it, uh, it, it, whether it's just keeping those terpings from degrading into something else, oxidizing, well i guess that would be the reason um hmm. it, it works and so in my dream curing area you know i would once i got to the level i want which i don't know what that level is yet because we're still doing research you know that's what we would do is inject it with gas nobody could walk <laughs> into that room but just to just another method to put it into stasis
0: yeah you know, cool
1: and no oxygen
0: yeah what inert gas? Uh, the, so I have um, one in mind, but I'm not sure it's the right one. So I want to uh, ask you: nitrogen or argon? Okay, I was thinking argon too. Okay, okay, that wasn't far-fetched. Uh, and nitrogen, uh, which makes sense when I think I love that you like post-harvest. That's actually one of if if I wasn't doing controlled environment agriculture production, I'd probably be doing controlled environment agriculture post-harvest. It's It's fascinating. It's so interesting what they do. And being in California, there's obviously a lot of post-harvest processing here. But I think about CE rooms, controlled environment rooms, where after they've, you know, harvested the peaches and they put it in this big, like concrete bunker, you know, type of room and they're just stacked in there and they fill it with nitrogen. Mm -hmm. Stop. (laughs) Stop. Right. And, and then the temperature is like 40 degrees. Stop. Right. Like mm-hmm. we're literally telling them to stop what they were doing yep. until we put them on the truck and then we gas them with CO2. So they turn orange because they were probably slightly green when they were picked and hard and cold and, you know, cranky, probably. And then we like <laughs> load them up in the truck and flush them with with ethylene so that they'll ripen. And raise the temperature so that by the time they get to the grocery store shelf, they're a color that aesthetically look right, but probably tastes like crap because they didn't have the starch switching to sugar during the actual on the tree process, on the tree process, on the tree growing, whatever. Everybody knows what I'm saying. So yeah, it makes so much sense to, to be applying these same farming practices that we've been doing for decades to the cannabis industry. And it makes me wonder like if if the hemp growers are doing that, you know, they're probably coming from traditional agriculture and applying traditional agriculture practices to Mm -hmm. another agricultural crop.
1: Yeah. And for the most part, most varieties have less terpenes to start with. So you're trying to preserve what little's
0: there. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Cool. I don't know. Do you have any final advice for growers who are trying to improve their drying and curing uh, practices other than what we've talked about here? I mean, do you have like a, I don't know, a bullet list? <laughs> like do this, don't do that. And maybe that's <laughs> something we can also share. And I'm sure you you, you will speak too.
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely share some things. But, it, you know, it's funny when one of the, the things you said we would discuss is kind of alternative drying methods Mm -hmm. um, oh yeah i
0: didn't even get to that yeah
1: and so yeah no i I find pretty high value in this states are going buck wild with the amount of acreage they're allowing marijuana producers to grow so michigan for example oklahoma just you know 10 acres for one farm and there's hundreds you know this year nobody's ever going to be able to smoke that much so um, you know, I work with some of these farmers and I ask, Well, how are you gonna dry all that? You know, are you doing a stagger harvest where you only have to have half the size of the drying room? You know, are you going to freeze some of you know, like what, what's your plan? And I've had multiple say, Well, we don't know yet. And I'm thinking, well, Oh wow. my god, whether you're having to go out and buy, you know, 50 million dollars worth worth of HVAC because you're gonna dry it all for smokable flour. Or if you're going to do something creative with, you know, freeze drying sort of process, it's all going to take time to figure out. One, you better hurry up. But I guess my, my point here is, you know, for as we get larger and larger scale outdoor grows specifically, you know, we're going to be smarter with how we're drying. You know, going back to, all right, well, you're going to process this amount. We'll send it through this po- sort of post-harvest. Are you going to turn some into extract through butane. Okay. We'll freeze it. Well, if you think just in general terms, I'm going to freeze a hundred pounds at a time in a, in a conventional freezer. Well, the inside of the inside of that batch is going to rot because oh your freezer God. can't keep up with it. So implementing again, just stealing from other industries, thought processes, you know, you can freeze stuff instantly. And there, there's equipment out there that, you know, it's just a conveyor line. They bring the gas out to you, you freeze it, then you put it in the freezer. Then you can stop and think about what you're going to do with all that flour. Um, (laughs) And you
0: can stop and think about it. I love that. (laughs) Right. You know, and maybe only
1: do a third as smokable flour. But I think really wrapping, you know, as the price just crashes for hemp and for marijuana, really taking the time to understand your pathways and how to treat it for post harvest based on what your end product is going to be. You know, I, I've seen it up and down with, with hemp people growing 20 acres and having to just leave three fourths of it in the field because they don't have the, the wow. capability to handle it in post harvest. So, wow. you know, it's not, it's not just about what the science is going on. It's how to be business minded with that much mass.
0: Yeah. I think that's sage advice, right? I I just know your market and know what your end product is that you're going to be selling, you know, in terms of those other drying practices, uh, you know, I've seen freeze drying, oven drying, microwave, uh, assisted hot air drying. You know, there, I think there's others that, that are floating out there and, you know, you've mentioned tobacco. Um, I also just think about grain drying um, Mm -hmm. and, I mean, coffee bean drying. I I mean, there's like so, so many of our products that you might not even realize like need to be dried. Uh, Corn, right? Uh, To make your corn chips or your tortillas or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of different drying processes out there for different agricultural products. And, you know, this industry is new, not new. Um, And I, I do think that there's gonna be industrial sort of grade technologies, I guess, and solutions Mm -hmm. out there like there is for drying wheat, which we've been doing for 10,000 years. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And knowing what that, because I would imagine, I don't know, I'm not a corn anything, but I just feel like, you know, how how you post-process corn on the cob, you know, frozen corn, Mm -hmm. right? versus, I don't know, dried corn that you get in your salad kit versus masa that you make tamales with versus, you know, the corn for your chips are all different post-harvest handling processes. On very large scale. Yeah, on very, very large scale. So if we can do it for corn, we can do it for hemp, right? Oh, for sure. <laughs> oh, I didn't even mention corn for ethanol. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> you. Yep. I don't want to leave them out awesome well allison i i am surprisingly out of questions <laughs> well, For now. Awesome. i know i'm gonna get off i'm gonna get off of this and i'm gonna think of another question in five minutes so i'll make sure that i ask you when i see you at the cannabis conference that question i forgot to ask but i am really looking forward to seeing you in three dimensions again um <laughs> looking forward to seeing everybody in 3 dimensions again. And yeah, thank thank you again so much for for being on the podcast.
1: You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Awesome.
0: Uh by the way, before I let you go, is, how can people find you in the future and also is there a way for for growers to get involved with the, your work at the CRC?
1: Yes, absolutely. So, to get a hold of me, there's two websites. There's thatmind.com. Um, the CRC website. Um, we also have, of course, Facebook, Instagram, my personal one, which I, I do a lot of research kind of from all of the little pieces I have my hands in, uh, drdr.justice underscore grows on Instagram. And then, of course, we have a, a CRC and a Hemp Mine Instagram webpage as well.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And for our our listeners, Allison is going to provide some of the slides that she was referring to, and we're going to post it on our Dr. Greenhouse Academy, as well as how you can can reach uh, Dr. Allison Justice and ask her more questions that maybe I didn't think of here today. Uh, I'm sure she would be happy to field them. So thanks again, Allison. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, This was The Doctor Is In with Dr. Allison Justice, our guest. And we will uh, talk to you next time. All right. Awesome. Yay. That was fun. That was awesome. I'm so happy you're doing this research. Yeah. It's mind-blowing. It's like you you figure one little thing out and then you're
1: like, oh, crap. But what about blah, blah,
0: blah. (laughs) Isn't that how... Yeah, I got you. Yeah.